We have several catalysts, as I mentioned, that will happen in Q4. We anticipate various things to start coming out, as you've seen today. Additional discoveries, the resumption of work. There is talk of some asset sales that we've considered. They may transpire here in the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. Greetings and thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am Bill Powers, your host. I appreciate your listenership. Today we're going to be getting an update from the executive chairman of Oren Resources, that being Ivan Bebek. The company trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker AUG and the website is orenresources.com. Ivan, thank you for joining me again. And you had a press release this morning from your Sombrero project in southern Peru. How about you uh, walk us through this to start off the interview? Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks very much. It's been some time, but great to be back. And, uh, I, you know, I think, you know, just real full disclosure on our, our recent trading and what's happening and not been happening is we've been waiting on a lot of news that didn't happen in Q3 that's starting to happen in Q4, as you see today. Um, you know, as you know, we've put together a, a district scale land position on the western side of the Las Bombas Tintaya Belt. And, you know, a, a big breakthrough for us. And globally, you know, we've caught the attention of all the major mining companies in the world everyone's coming to talk to us and have reviewed it and are looking at it. And, you know, the, the common feedback has been this is a, a tier one exploration opportunity, which we most certainly agree with. As we've gone down and screened 7,000 square kilometers, we acquired about 120,000 hectares. And so during this time of waiting on drill permits, we went down to go start sampling some of the ground in the south and looking to see if there's any more, you know, big copper gold or precious metal systems and what we announced today was that it's pronounced hey prospect it's cello is how it'd be spelled c-c-e-l-l-o but it's pronounced hey which makes it difficult for us but that's the name of the prospect um what we found here was a few kilometers two kilometers by one and a half kilometers of a very big high sulfidation system with with massive alteration and so we saw you know incredible grades of silver up to basically a kilo silver as well as something that people aren't talking about, but really high grades of arsenic and antimony, over 5,000 grams of arsenic and 7,700 grams of antimony, which if you follow precious metal systems would be really integral indicators that you might be on to a potential silver gold type of a system, um, not, to, not to discount the possibility that there could be a porphyry nearby because of the nature of this belt. But um, you know, this truly is something that came by complete surprise um, it's the only thing we've looked at in the southern concessions. We have some extremely robust anomalies to go follow up on. But what we've done here collectively as a group is we didn't just acquire a good project within Sombrero. We've put the, we were the first movers on the western extension of a belt that holds some of the world's largest mines next door. And this gives us a chance to potentially go make three or four of those kind of discoveries on this belt. In a market where people aren't making major discoveries, it's truly a, a huge, huge positive for us to be able to get a, a land position like this and starting to work and, and finding these kind of grades and and technical opportunities are, is truly spectacular. Yes, and Ivan, there's a lot of new listeners to this program since we last talked and since we initially talked in February of this year. So I'd like to point those listeners back to my initial conversation with Ivan back in February of 2019. If you want to really see the big picture for, for the Sombrero Project, as well as the Committee Bay Project uh, in northern Canada, uh, please go back and listen to that interview. Ivan, you also picked up some more land at your uh, Sambalay project that was announced about six weeks ago. Could you give us an update there too? Sure. This one is another 
felt in Peru. It actually has Cerro Verde, Tocopala, Quebeco. Some of the, the largest mines in the world, again, occur on this belt. It's by the coast, so it's west of our Sombrero project. Um, we've been trying for four and a half years to get the Sambalai and El Salvador concessions to complete the consolidation of our Curibaya land position that we wanted when we first entered Peru. Um, not only are these some of the world's largest mines, you know, along the trend of this belt, but the grades of silver, there was maybe 15 samples over a kilo silver in that press release on surface. Um, there was another probably, you know, the same amount over a gram to 23 grams gold. And then there's these huge faults coming through carrying between one and 13 and a half percent copper. So this trend is predominantly a base metal trend with copper and gold. But we're on the edge of the belt where you're also finding an epithermal system. I believe right now we have a three by three kilometer, which is substantial uh, footprint running about a gram gold or 90 gram silver in an average of all the 600 samples that were taken on the property. What's important there is the footprint of such high grade of gold and silver obviously is is real real layman's terms you look to go drill underneath things like that but for them to mean something you have to look at your geological setting are you nearby major deposits or are you completely in a new area in this case we're right next to some of these world-class mines and then the copper story here in these type of systems you generally will find a big porphyry next to the precious metal potential discovery or deposit and so seeing the 1% to 13.5% copper faults coming into the system, you know, right next to this big precious metals footprint is truly spectacular by opportunity. So you referred back to a previous interview we did when we talked about Sombrero and our, our general business plan for the company. And what we've defined ourselves at is, you know, the back of two really great successes since 2005, we wanted to go find tier one discoveries. And, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. It's the kind of discovery that every investor dreams about having. And one thing I will say in this market, Bill, and it's important for everyone to understand this, metal prices is not the challenge. Raising money is not the challenge. Finding metal and finding these big discoveries is going to be the hardest thing that we face as an exploration group for our industry for the next 30, 40, 50 years. We'd like to think that the easy deposits in the good jurisdictions have been found. And it's going to take a lot of going outside the box to go find these. So Curibaya, which now consolidates Sambalai and Salvador into one land position, we've been after this for four and a half years. So you have to think about that as an investor today. They spent four and a half years trying to get this. Why did they do that? Um, our technical team is all former Newmont global experts. Our threshold of what we're looking to achieve is, is something world class. And Curibaya most certainly, much like Sombrero and Committee Bay, it, it checks that box considerably for us. Um, for me in my career, having done this over 20 years, you know, getting around a 5 million ounce discovery, that was our first success. We found one from zero to 5 million ounces. We sold a company in the mid middle of the bear market. But to wake up in the morning and have multiple tier one exploration opportunities in one portfolio truly was something I, I never dreamed of, of getting this kind of, uh, you know, real estate that has this much prospectivity going into the bull market. So truly a once in a lifetime opportunity for us. And I think that shareholders can look forward to if we get it right, you know, one of the three or maybe more than one, uh, a world class discovery that that would be extremely, extremely profitable for shareholders. Yeah. And uh, when we're talking about Sombrero, Maine, with that project, uh, the potential buyout pie 
price, just for the listener's sake, we're, we're talking about multi-billions of dollars if this copper-gold discovery, if the exploration thesis proves out. Uh, right now, Orin's market cap is about $160 to $170 million Canadian. And when you compare that to other exploration companies that have one or maybe two projects, sometimes they start out in that 15 to $30 million market cap range. And then with the discovery, go to about 150 to 300. Uh, but Orin has seven quality, seven plus quality projects all over. And then if Sombrero Maine in particular hits, you're looking at billions of dollars of value that's created. Uh, with that being said, uh, Ivan, could you give us an update on the Sombrero Maine project? Yeah. So um, the Sombrero Maine and the analogy you're using, uh, we like to point towards Las Bombas. Um, Las Bombas was sold for $8 billion in 2014. About $6 billion was the value of the metal content in that transaction, which I believe had a gross metal value of $60 billion. That's When we're talking Tier 1 potential discoveries, that's what we're refer- referring to. So Sombrero Maine has everything that it has. is I, and, and the, uh, It's a great analog to Las Bombas. It has the same age rocks, the same type of rocks, but instead of copper molybdenum, which are the two metals that make up Las Bombas, it's copper and gold. Um, we've spent the last two years gaining access and doing surface work to really show the world that there's hundreds of meters of 0.5.5 or 0.7 copper gold equivalent on surface in, in surface sampling, channel sampling across the surface. We found some historical drill holes on the edge of the system, which included 116 meters of 0.58% copper gold equivalent near these surface trenches that have been done, which gave us a full fingerprint for the entire area that we plan to drill. Um, when you're looking for these deposits, you can use electrical currents, geophysics, or magnetics, uh, magnetic currents into the ground to see what's conducting or resisting to show you where you might have more copper and gold occurring. Um, real s- simply, the, the few drill holes we were able to achieve and announce in June, they gave us a fingerprint to the entire system of where we plan to drill. So, we are very ambitious for more reasons than just some good work on surface. There's a drill hole or a couple of drill holes there that give us a lot of confidence. And what we've been doing is we've been waiting for our drill permits to come in. And that's where the entire market has been patient. But, you know, we're going to go through some softness as these things take time. Um, I can promise you, Bill, that we're past the 50% point. Um, we do anticipate, you know, the two phases of permits that we need. Uh, one to most certainly complete this fall, uh, that's called the DIA. Uh, that could be as early as October within the next month. As late as, you know, conservatively, I think mid-November would be a, you know, a conservative outlook. Then the second part of this, you would need a social uh, a consulting, uh, community consulting part of the permit where the communities and the government both agree on a social basis. Um, we've undertaken about Hundred and sorry, five hundred and eighty thousand dollars U.S. worth of community programs that have been done in conjunction between ourselves, the Peruvian government, NGOs, as well as the local community. We've brought in Australian lambs. We're bringing in French cows. We've employed several women within the communities. We've helped the community uh, and to cultivate its meat and manage it a lot better. A lot of people may not be aware of this, but. The actual uh, Andes, Andean towns at that elevation, there isn't a lot of, there's a big iron deficiency because there isn't a lot of red meat up there. So this is something that will sustain long after we leave. And the reason why I'm telling you all this, because once we get the DF portion of the permit, 
we'll look forward to getting the, the blessing from the community. Our relationship is pristine and the work we've, we're doing is, is a lot more than the typical company would do. And the best part about it is it stays whether we leave or, or drill or find something or not, it goes. So we think in, in, a, in a very, very reasonable time period after we get the DIA, we think realistically middle of the road conservative would be around February that we're turning drills for the first time ever in this massive, massive opportunity. So, you know, I'd say for the listeners, expect some permitting updates here in the next few weeks, possibly the next month and a half. And uh, I think once we get through the DIA, you'll start to see the speculation come back into the stock because two months later you're turning a drill. That's a very short time period. Um, you know, something we do well is we like to share what we're up to globally with, with everybody. But, um, you know, the bigger it is, the bigger the opportunity, the more confidence you have, the bigger audience you'll want to get to. So for us, we find it's going to be challenging to get a chance to see everybody and show everybody what we're up to between now and when we turn a drill potentially in February. But um, just an exciting home stretch here to get the drill out and uh, go find a major deposit. You mentioned the speculation coming back into the stock. And on that note, I'd like you to talk about what moves your stock. Because as I've observed, especially with gold's rise the last few months, there are the momentum traders that come in. They look for stocks that have high beta to gold. Um, and when the generalists come in, that's one of the key things that they look for. Uh, Oren's shares have not performed the way some of the other gold stocks have, but that's because the DNA and what your story responds to is different. So could you speak to what moves your stock? Sure. I mean, the first six months of the year in June, we were the number one performing junior exploration company on a performance basis, on a percentage basis, right? And this was with the revealing of Sombrero. And that momentum was really, really, really strong. And all the other companies were trying to find their footing. Um, as we went into the robust move in the gold price, um, we started to experience a entirely different market. And this was where the shareholders became a little impatient because we weren't participating with the gold move. We did not have movement on our permit. There was a stagnant month or so of no news that's just starting to to kind of get resolved here so you asked me what moves our share price you know i think for me i do care immensely about the share price but i care more about what we have in front of us as an opportunity um i'm not too worried about short-term volatility at all actually i think the entire market's going to see it because we're going into an election year um if you have the goods and if you have a tier one expiration opportunity in front of you and I think we're probably one of the few on the planet that have this kind of opportunity, uh, as big as it is and, and as mature as the opportunity is. You know, I think that's that's a great place to resonate with what you own, not so much how it's bouncing back and forth. I mean, Canadian prices, we were a dollar ninety two days ago, three days ago, we're a dollar sixty today. There's volatility. Gold came off twenty, thirty dollars. Is it a gold impact or is it a general market impact or is it that, you know, we're not doing something enough of anything. What I can promise you, Bill, and everyone listening, is our, our fundamentals have improved dramatically in the last few months from the first six months of the year. And the reasons why we were trading at 240 twice, two different times per share this year and in the summertime have gotten better, not worse. So, you know, I think as far as an investment standpoint, if you're an accumulator, a buyer, if you want exposure, to something that could deliver a tier one discovery, you know, that multiple 10 or 20 times your share price, 
you know, your, your entry points are real obvious. Buy on the down days, buy on the red days. You know, I think that if you're long the stock and you see it bouncing back and forth, you know, this is just the way we all trade as exploration entities. I will say, though, as a final comment towards the share price, we need steady news flow to maintain consistent interest and to keep the volatility at a minimum and build momentum in the share price. Um, we have several catalysts, as I mentioned, that will happen in Q4. We anticipate various things to start coming out, as you've seen today. Additional discoveries, the resumption of work. Um, there is talk of some asset sales that we've considered. They may transpire here in the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, as most companies most certainly have. But in our case, they're, they're quite substantial in terms of milestones. And again, we're within a month, month and a half from getting the DIA portion of the permit. And I think at the back of that, you will see a tremendous amount of speculation come back into the story, if not sooner. Um, the interest, again, has been incredible from corporate entities, from very, very large investors. And, you know, the question people ask is, well, why isn't your share price higher if that's the case? We're doing okay with market cap at 160 to 200 million is the range we've been kind of trading in. I think without having drilled a hole yet ourselves, that's that's a pretty good performance. But I still think that even at $2 a share Canadian, we're drastically undervalued with the opportunity in front of us. But, you know, the extra news, the, the getting of the permit and drilling it will, will most certainly sort that out, I think, when the time comes. You mentioned Peru and your work, what you're doing there socially, um, helping the community. There has been some pretty hard critiques on Peru and a big open pit mines. I even emailed you uh, what one newsletter uh, wrote and the newsletter writer said, at this point, any big open pit project in Peru is looking like a non-starter but that writing has been on the wall for years. Uh, obviously, you're pursuing a massive open pit mine uh, right now in Peru. So what would be your response to this comment? Oh, sure. I think that writer is talking about the Cayaveco mine. And I, I believe, or Tia Maria, sorry, not Cayaveco. Tia Maria is the mine that's gotten all the attention lately. And what happened in that situation, you know, is really confidential towards the history there. And it started probably 10 or 15 years ago, and there's been multiple owners that have come through that project, and there's been various different handlings of the communities. Um, it's the only one that's having these issues that I'm aware of. I, I don't see any other open pit mines, you know, being encumbered by that. I do see a general theme of people being worried about that, but, you know, as far as that goes, I think and we strongly believe each opportunity to go and find a mine, whether it's open pit or underground in Peru, is going to be isolated to what the community thinks and how you handle the community. So we've we've taken our time and we've done the community part of our the social impact part extremely, extremely carefully. And I, I don't know how these other places that are having issues, I don't know how they've managed themselves. I'm not saying they've done anything wrong or maybe they've missed somebody. I don't know. I cannot comment directly towards that. But not everybody's having these problems. There's a few few isolated events that are very particular to certain circumstances. And I think, you know, the, the investing crowd or some of these letter writers, they, they want to get excited that it's going to be a, a blanket generalization across Peru. Um, copper, I think Peru is number two in the world of production of copper. It's a massive portion of their GDP. And I think the government would be uh, or is very sensitive towards that. And if mines aren't getting built, 
the country is going to face some serious issues uh, going forward and, and lack of jobs and an impact on their economy. So, you know, I think everyone wants to see a better relationship between projects and open pit mines and communities. And we are most certainly taking that route. But we are not deterred by one moment. We're actually looking to acquire some other substantial assets in Peru. As I talked to you today, we have no fear that you can permit an open pit mine in Peru if you do things properly. So I, I'd have to say that letter writer, maybe they got caught in a stock that or a story that, that's getting impacted by it. Um, I don't know how much they know or don't know about the specific general, you know, areas of Peru. But, you know, it's all from our experience, it's all been isolated per communities around per mine. And that's something that I think that, you know, people have to look at and say, how are Orin's relationships with its communities? And I would answer we're extremely well received. Congress actually recognized our community uh, federally as a, with an award for how we've interacted with the NGOs, the government NGOs, as well as the local community and our, our own contributions to set up the social programs we've been doing. And so I think there's, there's, there's work to be done and both on the perception of how to, to manage yourself in Peru for all of the mining companies, but most importantly, I think people have to think of them as isolated events, not as generalizations. Two things a mine has, has to have is electricity and water. As I read some of the reports coming out of Peru regarding the protests, the anti-mining protests, at issue um, with some of them was water and how the farmers would be impacted with water. Is there anything you can say about the Sombrero main project and uh, how does the water situation look there? Well, so a couple things. Uh, our water situation is great. The water that we would use would not be impacted in a negative way and affect the community or their agriculture. We're supporting agricultural programs. It would be you know, a contradiction to support programs that would be hindered later by a potential mine, right? So we have a, a very good plan or use of water at this time that would not Im impact the agriculture, to be quite general about it. Now, in these Peruvian mines that are complaining or these communities in some parts of Peru that are complaining about the water, I, I read a report recently that before in, the mines were even existed in the groundwater tables, just like our, our, our southern prospect, if there's arsenic and if there's antimony and arsenic in the ground, it's going to contaminate water on its own. You know, mines don't necessarily come in and bring that. If the rock's already there containing arsenic, the water's going to be contaminated. In fact, we will clean more water probably as miners than we will contaminate based on water already not being drinkable in certain areas. And I think there's a little bit of education needed when you go out and you do your ground table water survey, um, and that's why the government and the environmental permit makes you really do this thoroughly, is they wanna make sure that you're not gonna impact the quality of water. Most certainly in our case of drilling and finding something, we don't use any chemicals, there would be nothing there to, for anyone to worry about, but in the event that it becomes a mine plan that's gonna proceed, you know, there's a lot of room and a lot of areas around the project where a very non, you know, impactful toxic scenario can be created and it can be managed without any kind of risk to the agriculture, right? So first point there is a lot of areas are already contaminated because there are arsenic rocks in the Andes, full stop. 
And so, you know, if anything, we're come mining companies will end up putting a water filtration plant to clean that. Um, secondly, you talked about power and, you know, talking about something, we're at 3,900 meters elevation with Sombrero. You talk about where you're going to get your power. Well, since we've had this project, the government has um, built 500 kilovolt power lines on top of our property. You can actually hear the buzzing when you're taking rock samples. And we have internally joked about plugging in a uh, extension cord. If you go to our PowerPoint on our website, you'll see that you access this where with uh, paved roads to within five kilometers of our property. You're driving down a highway. So in terms of infrastructure, in terms of modest environmental impact, in terms of you know not impacting agriculture, in fact, supporting agriculture in the region and improving that, um, we, we put in a trout farm the other day as well, you know, or help to design one that's being built. Um, these kind of programs and the opportunity for infrastructure is about as good as it gets, not just in Peru, globally. Uh, I've never seen a project that had mine power right on top of it, as well as access to plenty of water and layback areas to go build the mine right out the gate with a bunch of high-grade copper and gold all over the surface. Um, it's truly a spectacular opportunity for us from that perspective. And I think in terms of those general concerns, they're extremely great questions, but we're, we're very, very, very comfortable with the situation. We think we've gotten extremely lucky with how we're laid out. As I mentioned earlier, Oren is a multi-project uh, company, so let's head north of the equator to Canada and touch on two of your projects there. Uh, what's going on with the Homestake Ridge project in uh, British Columbia? Yeah, Homestake Ridge, we, we had it for a couple of years. We went out there and we looked to extend the high-grade gold deposit, there's about 1.2 million ounces of 7.5 grams gold-silver equivalent. Um, that's an incredible high-grade. For that part of the world, you'd produce concentrates, and there's infrastructure nearby as well, and you'd be selling a high-value concentrate. Our first goal was, can we start to make this thing bigger? Is there some extensions to the existing deposit? Um, the second goal, which is really important, is where's the blue sky to double or triple this deposit? So this summer... We spent $800,000 going out there and doing all the surface work, geophysics, in a couple of new areas that have yielded half kilo silver, uh, several ounce gold, and they had never been followed up on previously. We did the detailed work. We'll come out with some pretty robust targets from what I'm hearing, and we're going to have a lot of or some pretty big opportunities in an area like the Golden Triangle to go find another million or potentially two million more ounces. Um, you know, some of the holes drilled in Homestake, Maine, 96 meters or 94 meters of six grams or 73 meters of 21 grams. If you're familiar with the Golden Triangle, it's truly a spectacular place for endowment when you get it right. So in, in our own perspective, we're finally going to add the layer towards that project, uh, which would be the blue sky, which we believe was missing, not just for the market, but from us. And we'll have some pretty robust drill ready targets next year. The project's gathered a lot of interest because of the mature state it's in. It's our closest project towards development, and the metal prices going up make it a very attractive uh, project for people to potentially buy it. Um, we're not looking to divest it in, in a fire sale kind of environment. We think or we believe strongly that there's a lot more value to be realized here at current metal prices and future forecast metal prices. So unless we see something extremely competitive on the buy side, we look very forward to making it a lot bigger and potentially um, monetizing it in the rising gold market. Committee Bay, you know, it's our tier one gold swing. This is a 300 kilometer long gold belt. 
Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, there's about 67 high-grade gold occurrences along this belt. It's just northeast of Amaruk, which is the last major gold mine found on the planet in 2013 that's now gone into production. Um, it's got a 1.3 million ounce, 8 gram deposit in the middle of the belt. To make a mine work up here, this is none of it, you would need at least 5 or 6 million ounces of 6 grams per ton or more to be standalone. Um, so we have 1.3 of 8 to start, and we focused in the middle of the belt nearby the 1.3 of 8 so we could end up putting it all together as one if we start to find something and get through that threshold quite quickly. Um, the year before last year, we drilled a hole of about 12 meters of 5 grams per ton. The rock looked like boring rock. It didn't look like it was going to have gold in it. Um, last year, we went back and drilled around that, and we saw the most beautiful rock, the same as you would see at Three Bluffs or Amaruk or Meliodine, some of the major mines up there. But we got to the result of not enough gold in those drill holes. They didn't have enough grade to, to support something. So this year, we went up, we did a small program uh, because we made a very late year decision and you need some lead time to set up to go drilling up there. And so we did a small program of seven drill holes which were fairly high-risk holes, but obviously high-risk holes could give you a big reward. And a few of these holes, which we anticipate in the next couple of weeks to come out, have a really good shot at extending or potentially finding the mineralization or the grade that we didn't find last year. Um, it's a project that if we get it right, we have a chance to find 10, 20, 30 million ounces over the next you know, decade easily, but it may take some time. And so you have to be patient with it. To have Committee Bay in the background while we have Sombrero where you're walking on copper and gold for two days straight when you come toward the project, you know, it's a lot easier to drill something you're walking on versus exploring in the Arctic undercover in shorter seasons. But the upside of both projects is what we really enjoy as tier one opportunities in the portfolio, both precious and base metal. Ivan, you were at the Beaver Creek uh, Precious Metals Summit and then the Denver Gold Forum in the last few weeks. Uh, what feedback can you share with uh, my listeners regarding the resource and the gold sector in general as a result of uh, being at those conferences? Well, I'd say the, the general first comment comes to my head was, you know, there's a lot less social events. People were a lot more serious. You know, there was a lot less drinking, commiserating over a bear market. And I think people are getting ready for this bull market to come back. You know, I, I look at the current metal price and first call you get as an exploration company is, hey, I have a $1,500 gold or $1,550. Why isn't your stock? Why isn't the market on fire? Why aren't all the juniors flying? Um, the majors have certainly started to do well, so have the mid-tiers. But if you know how cycles work, the juniors usually are the third phase that usually pick up later in the, in the system. And so I'd say we're at the end of the bear market in that transition to the bull market. And I would say, you know, what I saw down at Beaver Creek in Denver was a lot of pencils being sharpened. A lot of people are getting ready to make moves in terms of M&A and possibly invest into these companies again. And I'd say it's not quite there. You would see it on the tape, but it's coming. I think that, you know, the one thing that I've educated a lot of our shareholders with that, that ask for my opinion and advice and, and about the market is you have to pace yourself. You have to pace yourself into a bull market because the metal prices and the bigger companies will perform first and the juniors will follow. As long as you are patient into the bull market, you'll do extremely well. If your expectations are too high and you don't see the performance you want and you decide to leave and it's not the bull market, you likely will sell at a low point and revisit at a much higher point down the road. And so just be patient, 
pace yourself. It is most certainly coming. There was the most interest I've seen across funds, corporate major mining companies towards becoming busier in the space in a long time. And I do have to hang out with that very generalist comment. There was a lot less people drinking and, and, and socializing in the social events. There was a lot more serious undertone with a lot more sobriety, if I, if I can make that comment. And so for me, it was a really good indicator that we're on our way back. And so look forward to a, a continual growth in the, in the precious metal followed by the base metal sector. And I think, uh, yeah, it's again, the same denominator came back to me as it has the last four years. I don't see any other tier one exploration swings out there like Sombrero. And I'm not saying this as a bias to compete or self-promote, but I don't see somebody with, you know, an analog to Las Bombas. I don't see somebody taking those swings and, you know, screening 7,000 square kilometers and, you know, trying to extend an entire belt, world-class belt in, in Peru. You know, I don't see that happening in, in, in other places. I'd be an investor myself if they were pointed out to me. There is a few discoveries that have happened, such as Great Bear. They've done extremely well. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are having luck, but these aren't big mines yet. You know, these aren't 5, 10, 20 million ounce discoveries. And I think it's just going to be a lot harder for us going forward. So when you get onto something as good as we've gotten onto with Sombrero, I think you have to look at how rare that is. Um, a major mining company commented to us that it may be a decade or infinite before they ever see a Sombrero again. You know, and that's that's a true comment. It's probably the only one I'll ever see in my career. And that's that's something that we're very proud that we've gotten into because we spent four or five years and about a hundred million dollars getting here. Um, and now we have a metal market that we're going towards that I think we unanimously can agree on is going to be a lot better in the next 18 months than it has been in the last 18 months that we just experienced. And I think that's where you can look forward to some great returns on, on modest or substantial discoveries depends on what you get into. Excellent. Yes. And if you hit significantly in a bull market, the share price will uh, multiply many times. I'm just thinking back to Silvercrest metals in 2016 as silver went from $14 to $21 and they continue to put out good holes. Uh, that little junior went up, I believe, 40 times. That was an incredible, incredible success, and that just shows you how it can happen. Yes, absolutely. So if you're listening and this is your first time or you've just learned about Orin Resources, go to your finance app, type in A-U-G, go to the website, it's orinresources.com. Make sure you're on the email list. As Ivan has said, there's going to be numerous catalysts over Q4 of this year, over the next three months. So you want to get those emailed to your inbox uh, the morning that they are released. As always, Ivan, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on Mining Stock Education today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.